This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Silvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Sunshine is the best disinfectant, a phrase coined by Massachusetts native and Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis, advocated for more government transparency as a way to combat corruption. When elected officials act on our behalf, they are implicitly bound to offer a clear account of their work. Beyond constituents' concern for self-dealing or corruption, voters deserve information to allay worries of the influence of interest groups or the sway of large campaign donations. Unfortunately, many politicians prefer to avoid the watchful eyes of the governed in the hope that doing so will help escape scrutiny or accountability for their legislative decisions. While opacity may benefit individual legislators, leaving constituents to wonder engenders mistrust and erodes faith in democracy. To help serve the public's need for greater transparency, watchdog news organizations, advocacy groups, and think tanks such as Pioneer Institute work to expose hidden information or secretive processes and encourage the voting public to demand their representatives' work remains exposed to sunshine. Each year, Pioneer Institute celebrates Sunshine Week to highlight its work for greater transparency in our state's governance. My guest today is Mary Connaughton, Pioneer's Director of Government Transparency and Director of Finance and Administration. Mary's understanding of both the complexity of governing and the need for transparency was earned during her time serving on the former Massachusetts Turnpike Authority Board of Directors, the Massachusetts Commission on Judicial Conduct, as Chief Financial Officer of the Massachusetts State Lottery, and in the state's Treasurer's Office. Ms. Connaughton will share with us how transparency is vital for effective governance, where voters can learn more about the actions of legislators, and what each of us can do to cultivate a culture of clarity to foster better trust in our Commonwealth's leadership. When I return, I'll be joined by Pioneer Institute's Mary Connaughton. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvaggi, and I'm now joined by Mary Connaughton of Pioneer Institute. Welcome back to the show, Mary. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be back. Mary, I'd like to talk about all the ways in which Pioneer works to build more transparency in government. But before we go into detail, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, explain to us why is government transparency so important to you, to Pioneer, and the rest of us? Right. I mean, it's extremely important to make sure that the government is always acting in the public's best interest, always. And the transparency laws in Massachusetts for government have been in place going back to the eight, to about 1851. It's abundantly clear that throughout our history, state leaders have valued the uh, importance of transparency and what that does for public engagement. And a healthy democracy is, is based on active public engagement, the public get involved in the legislative process and, and in the decision-making pro- process, and be, have the public be able to give input to that. Uh, we hold, we a pioneer hold transparency in, in the highest regard, and we believe it is a cornerstone of a long-term sustainable government. 
And government, as we all know, is of the people, by the people, and for the people. And it's through transparency that allows that to happen. If the public is left in the dark, they're left with a sense of distrust. And if, if government is open, then people know what's happening and they feel better about government. They feel better about their elected officials. So we have a lot of time here at Pioneer that we've dedicated to government transparency issues, to creating websites of all kinds uh, for public disclosures and other financial information um, under a brand we call MassWatch. But we believe it's highly important for the public to be involved. So it sounds to me it's, it's a good deal about trust, and that's something that we're uh, in desperate need of these days. So uh, transparency engenders trust. All right, let's, let's get into some of the details. I was looking into um, some of the pioneers' work in the past. Uh, before we go into current events, I noticed uh, there's a, a site on Pioneer's uh, website that talks about uh, financial disclosure requirements of elected officials. This sounds like basic stuff, right? We want to know if uh, our legislators have a financial interest in the work they're doing. Um, there's 50 states. Uh, three states don't require any disclosure whatsoever. Uh, and then of the remaining 47, it seems that Massachusetts falls last. What can you tell us about uh, this measurement and uh, perhaps what, what we could do to improve that? Sure. So just to, the three states that don't require these financial dis disclosures are Washington, uh, Texas and, and Michigan, surprisingly. But uh, Massachusetts does rank at the bottom in terms of financial disclosures. And to back up, they're not just required for public, for elected officials, but for anyone that is in a policy-making capacity in government. An appointed um, employee uh, would be required to file these annually with the State Ethics Commission. And they include things like who the filer's mortgage is with and what investments they have, what outside businesses they might have an interest in. And they're great because it, it gives the public a window to know whether or not the, the uh, policymaker, whether it's legislator or an appointed official, is acting in the public's interest and not their own interest. So the states, the 47 states that have these um, you put them out there for the public to review so they can decide or journalists can decide. So people are always watching them and they know that the public is watching them, which in itself creates good behavior. But in Massachusetts, as you said, we rank near the basement or I mean, the three states that don't require them are certainly at the bottom of the, of the barrel. But of those that file, we are at the bottom of that chunk of, of, of states. And the issue with Massachusetts is we require people requesting to see the financial statements to provide their driver's license to the State Ethics Commission. So there's no anonymity. And if you, anonymity. So there's no, um, there's no online disclosure that you can go to like get up in the morning with your coffee and sit back and say, I'm going to look at my state rep's disclosure. You can't just do that on the spot because you have to file this information. And so they know that you're looking at them. So the State Ethics Commission, on top of requiring the information from um, someone, or someone who wants to view the information, they requ require that the legislator or policymaker is informed that you are looking at their statements, you individually. So that's intimidation. So if uh, a, a constituent wants to see their state rep's financial disclosures, that state rep is going to know 
that constituent asks for them. And we think that that <clears throat> does amount to intimidation. It's not the best way to go about it. And finally, when you look at the actual statement of this financial disclosure, it's way outdated. It's woefully outdated. If you look at um, like the value of a home mortgage or the value of real estate, it's in buckets of 5,000, so 5,000 to 10,000, 10,000 to 15,000, so forth. And it ends at 100,000, 100,000 plus. And we know that you know, the, the median value of a home in Massachusetts is nearing 500,000. So how valuable is that information? So we think the information that they put out could be improved, that what they're asking, so, you could, so the people who are viewing the information can get a better sense of what it really means. And we think that driver's licenses should not be required, nor should the policymaker or legislator have access to who's asking for that information, because that in itself is a deterrent for people to ask for the information. So sure. those are the shortcomings in Massachusetts, and we've recommended that those changes be made um, you know, to create a more trusting public. Now, Mary, those legislators, when they meet to talk about the public's business, um, are usually uh, bound by open meeting laws. That is to say, the public wants to know what's being said when they're doing the public's business. I understand that our own Massachusetts legislators are not bound by open meeting laws. In fact, uh, they exempt themselves from this, whereby other uh, organizations, other uh, bodies within Massachusetts aren't. Uh, do I have that right? What can you tell our listeners about uh, our legislators and open meeting laws? This is, this is the really interesting thing, Joe, that the state legislature is not required to, under open meeting law to invite the public to those meetings. The, the state legislature in Massachusetts, unlike many other state legislators, legislatures, is exempt from open meeting law. So if you're on a local finance committee and you guys meet, you have to disclose when you're meeting, where you're meeting, you have to keep the door open, you have to invite the public, you have to have agendas up, you have to provide minutes, but that's not required of the state legislature. That's one of the transparency laws that we think should be changed. They've exempted themselves from that provision. And we think that that exemption is unconstitutional that and, and its exemption to public records. Because when you look at the Massachusetts state constitution, it states very clearly that the legislature should be accountable to the public, quote, at all times, unquote. And that at all times obviously doesn't mean when, when they're at home and you know enjoying their personal life, but when they're acting and carrying out the people's business, they should be accountable to us and they're not. Additionally, the Constitution says that the public should instruct their legislators, give them instruction, but you can't give them instruction if you don't have access to what they're doing. So the rules that they create regarding the meetings that the public will be invited to, the meetings that are open, the meetings that are scheduled, all that is subject to the legislature's own rules, but not by the law of the land. And that we believe is a serious limitation. That's one of the reasons why the uh, Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, the, the uh, Center for Public Integrity, ranked Massachusetts legislative processes down, gave it a very, very low grade because it's not more open 
there's been some improvements over time, but I think having them subject to these laws, to have the legislature be considered a public body would make a huge difference in getting people to see what's going on, allowing journalists into meetings so they really know, you know what, what is really being negotiated. What are the compromises? What is really happening in these closed door meetings? We don't know. So this, that would be a huge improvement to have the legislature included as a, under the definition of a public body and be subject to open meeting law. I mean, it, it just, do as I say, not as I do, is not a good way to govern, in my opinion. <laughs> now, Mary, while preparing for today's episode, I did look into uh, some of those organizations that advocate for greater transparency, as Pioneer does, uh, I'd say that it ranged from on the left, uh, the Progressive Mass, on the right, uh, Mass Fiscal Alliance. Uh, their uh, um, concerns were almost identical. Uh, they, as we mentioned, talk about uh, their concern about uh, state's open meeting uh, exemption, um, exemption from state public record laws, uh, keeping committee votes secretive and not av- available to the public. If both the left and the right, and of course the center, uh, an organization like Pioneer uh, advocate for transparency, why is it then that our legislators can't seem to um, meet the, I would say, the demand for clarity and transparency uh, from the entire political spectrum? Absolutely. I mean, this is why such disparate groups really all want transparency. You know, it, it, the, the issue of transparency uh, rises well above political fray, the political fray. It's something that the public deserves, the public demands. But for some reason, you know, the legislators don't feel that the public will vote them out if, if they don't get them. And they don't. But maybe if there was more transparency and they could see exactly how their legislator was behaving, you know, then they might make a different decision in, in the voting booth. But as long as they're able to shield themselves, um, they are not ultimately held accountable. And and it's a real shame because as we said at the beginning of this program, you know, the public integrity and the public trust in government is of the utmost importance for a healthy, long-term, sustainable government. And shielding themselves from uh, scrutiny doesn't lend itself to uh, a high degree of public trust. Now, since we're talking about the legislature, as recently as late um, January, there were actually amendments that came out of the Senate that uh, were voted on in the House that were what I would consider uh, very uncontroversial transparency uh, amendments. They included representatives giving a reasonable amount of time to read final language on a bill, which one would hope every legislator reads what he's voting on, uh, the ability to see any amendments before they're voted on, uh, and the ability to um, make a testimony uh, in all committee meetings publicly available. This seems like basic blocking and tackling of legislation. In other words, when you vote, you should know what you're voting on. And when you uh, discuss legislation, you know the public should know what you're doing. Uh, w- let's assume that the, um, the Senate and the House have uh, overwhelming democratic majorities. Um, and many of the advocacy groups from the left and the right are, are uh, pushing for uh, greater transparency. Why would a legislator, presumably acting on their constituents' behalf, want to keep their actions secret? 
Well, that, that's a good question, because one would think that they would be proud and want, to, want the public to know exactly what they are doing on their behalf. I think you touched on it. When, when, when there's not real strong two-party debate, it doesn't matter whether it's all Republicans or all Democrats, when there's not a strong two-party system to demand debate, that's, that's when you know, the, the public gets shut out. And that, that's the situation that we have in Massachusetts. So, you know, having two parties, there's, a, there's great benefit. And one of those is extended debate on issues. But a lot of times it just doesn't even get to that point where uh, the public knows what exactly, what exactly is going on. So let's move away from the uh, legislature and talk about um, executive uh, actions during uh, the most uh, the last year of uh, COVID. <laughs> Um, certainly the, uh, there's been a public outcry about uh, not really knowing what's going on. In other words, we, we didn't know how bad uh, the uh, COVID-19 had spread. Uh, it wasn't clear how the testing and tracing was going to be done. Uh, now let's go forward and we're talking now about vaccines. Uh, the governor has enlisted the help of many private institutions and organizations to distribute vaccines. Um, is there any uh, legal imperative for the governor or the executive branch to make clear to the public what's being spent on testing, tracing, vaccines, and you know, essentially going into private uh, organizations from the public um, till? Well, the question is, do we, do we need to know in real time? It would be great if we knew in real time. Ultimately, all that information will be disclosed because every payment that the, doll- that the government makes is disclosed first in, in a site that the comptroller puts out called see-through, which shows every dollar that's spent and, and uh, who gets that dollar. So ultimately we will be able to see all the spending, but we can't see right now until it's all kind of tallied up and, and the checks are out. Um, we, we will ultimately hopefully see the contracts associated with um, the vaccine distribution for the uh, private side contractors that were awarded those contracts. And because um, those two are subject to public records law and we ultimately will be able to get them. Um, We might not have them yet, but um, we will be getting those at some point, meaning that the public will have access to them. And my, I believe that various journalists have already asked for those and I don't know to the extent they've received them already. But ultimately, all this will be um, will be up to the public to, to scrutinize. But we might not have all the information real time. Um, during the pandemic, there was a lot of uh, talk. Um, Pioneer and, and Hubwonk, frankly, covered um, uh, the relief coming from the federal government administered by the states in many cases, um, among those being the payroll protection program. Uh, Pioneer did a lot of work talking about where those payroll protection program checks were sent. They were, I believe, intended to uh, protect employers who were struggling during the uh, pandemic, small, generally small firms. Uh, Pioneer did some work on where those checks went and found that they didn't always go to the right firms. Uh, in other words, they, they weren't there uh, helping firms that were indeed struggling during the pandemic. Can you speak to uh, Pioneer's research in this area? Sure. What we did is the, the, this, the uh, Small Business Administration put out data on what, what firms, what organizations receive PPP loans, the amount of those loans, the amount of employees that, was, that uh, were covered under those loans. And what Pioneer did is we put up what we call the PPP loan tracker so the public can see by town uh, where that money was uh, 
was received, which, which entities got that money. And some of the some of the data didn't make a whole lot of sense. In some cases, it looked like the number of employees was much higher than one would have expected. But all that data is available on our website. So a listener can go to um, pioneerinstitute.org and search PPP tracker, PPP loan tracker, and have access to all that information. That's some of the thing, that's something that we'd like to do. We'd like to get data from uh, large chunks of data from the government, in this case, the federal government, and put them in a user-friendly format so the public, public itself can investigate. And I you know if you live in Upton and you wanna see the number of uh, of um, organizations and businesses that receive this funds, you can do so at your computer by going to Pioneer Institute site and, and checking it out. And then, you know, we might not know what makes sense for a number of employees by the company because we're not familiar with the company, but the people that live locally might be. And by putting this information out there, you know, the public itself can scrutinize um, who got it and if, if it makes sense that they were protecting the number of employees that they said they were going to protect. So transparency is, is good because so many people can get involved, but the key is to get the information in a format that is user-friendly and easy for the people to understand. And that's what we did there with that site. Indeed, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful phrase. Sunshine is the best disinfectant. So uh, we're hoping to uh, disinfect uh, if, if things weren't exactly as they appeared. Uh, I want to uh, talk about something. This personally, uh, I find uh, interesting that uh, Pioneer did some research on this. Uh, in an earlier Hub Wonk podcast, I discussed the idea of potentially implementing a congestion fee for drivers as a way to discourage dri- driving during peak hours. And essentially, this would charge people for peak use during during the road use. Uh, effectively, you'd have to track every driver and see when they were driving. Uh, one of the pieces that uh, Pioneer did was to analyze the uh, toll uh, taking on Tobin and the Pike and to acknowledge the fact that this electronic system uh, misses quite a bit of uh, toll collection. In other words, if you don't have a transponder and your plate is unreadable, you may well be not paying any toll. Now, nobody likes paying tolls, but I would say that what they really don't like is uh, other people on the same road not paying their fair share of the tolls. What can you tell us about this research? What surprised me is uh, we have no data on how many people essentially are flouting the uh, the toll laws. Um, what can you say about this topic? Right. I mean, what we've asked for in the past, we, every year we do what we call our government transparency re- resolutions. And one of them is is for MassDOT, the, part, the, um, or the agency that oversees the toll collection at the Pike and, the, and at the Token Bridge. We've asked them to make it really transparent as to the number of transactions or cars going through uh, that have not been built for whatever reason. On top of that, it's also important that we receive or the public can see how many people from other states that are subject to the pay-by-plate program uh, who simply don't pay their bill when they get it. Um, And that's really important because the state, Massachusetts, has reciprocity agreements with certain states. In other words, if we say that this driver under this license plate owes the Commonwealth of 50 bucks, you know, we, if, you, if the Commonwealth has a reciprocity agreement with that state, say Connecticut, Connecticut will withhold their car registration until they pay Massachusetts. 
So reciprocity agreements are great to have in place. But if there's states that we don't have reciprocity agreements and we basically lose our leverage to collect the money in, in any easy way. Um, so we'd like to see by state, you know, what tolls remain uncollected that have been billed, what the default rate is, how they write them off. So the, again, it goes back to what you said earlier. No one likes to be paying a toll when the driver next to them is getting a free ride. We don't like free rides on the turnpike. You know, if, if I'm paying a toll, I want everyone else to pay a toll too. Sorry. <laughs> so um, we think that making that transparent and also encouraging mass start, and I know they've tried this to get um, reciprocity agreements with many, many more states, but it's sometimes it's not an easy thing to strike an agreement with another state. So it's largely an issue of drivers from other states, not necessarily Massachusetts drivers with, uh, with dirt on their, ma- on their license plate. Well, I'm sure there's some of that too, and uh, what, and then that's up to the, the um, inspections. And you know, when you have your annual inspection, they're supposed the the people that are doing the inspection at the stations are supposed to be looking at the plates to make sure that they are readable. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, those people get caught, or else they get you know a failed uh, uh, state inspection, which uh, isn't a good thing. So there, there are some ways to correct those issues so people can't do that repeatedly over time. But um, getting the scoff laws that are out of state, I think, is, is a bigger issue and finding out the extent of those uh, uncollected debts. Because, again, they could be used for repairs and maintenance of the turnpike, plowing snow, doing all that. But if they're not being collected, they won't be able to go to work for the Commonwealth. Let's stay on the topic of or the subject of transportation, Uh, the frequently maligned MBTA. I think we had a derailment last week, so uh, the the story continues. Uh, But um, they seem to be carefully scrutinized. The Fiscal Management Control Board um, definitely provides some level of independent oversight. Uh, I know I've attended a few Zoom meetings where they spoke. Do you see in this case, uh, they do spend a lot of money, $2 billion a year. Do you see um, they've delivered sufficient transparency to their operations for the public? I think they've been doing a great job in terms of that. I'm sure there's there's always ways they can improve in terms of uh, maybe putting more up about exactly who, you know, um, um, know, ridership. But they've even done a lot better job with that. I mean, I would say overall, since 2015, uh, that awful winter when the board was put in place, I think they've done a pretty good job in terms of transparency and openness with the budget um, and uh, really keeping a laser focus on the finances of the organization. Certainly a lot better than, say, 10 years ago, where uh, you know, there, there was certainly some transparency issues at the MBTA. Um, but overall, I would say that their transparency has improved, their meetings have improved, um, <clears throat> very good at giving the public an opportunity to comment, which is also important at, at their um, meetings. So overall, I would say they've done, um, they're, they're definitely doing better than, um, than they have been. So that's a good thing. So, Mary, we're getting close to the end of our time together. I want to um, uh, highlight one of the suggestions that Pioneer had made um, where they uh, suggested that the legislature um, create something, uh, it's the equivalent of the Congressional Budget Office to assess the impact of revenue or spending bills as they come out of uh, committees. 
Um, there's nothing like that now. Essentially, if uh, they pass a bill and you say, well, how much does this cost? The answer is, I don't know, largely because they may not know. Um, am I right in saying there is no such organization now? And how do you see something like that coming about? And, and what would you see a, 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 in an ideal world? What would be the role of a, a, an independent assessment body like that? Thank you. I mean, we, we've championed this idea for several years now, uh, and we believe it would be a great addition to the legislature. legislature. And I know some uh, some uh, members of the legislature have tried to file bills to get this, but they still haven't gotten that far. But what it would be is an independent office to look at uh, bills as they pass. For instance, the in 2009, I know this is a few years back, but in 2009, they passed uh, a, a transportation reform bill. And in doing so, they consolidated transportation agencies, the Turnpike, airports, the MBTA, pretty much under the same mass dot umbrella. And in doing so, I mean, they, they are, you know, the legislators are all smiling. They passed this bill and saying it's going to save billions of dollars over the next 20 years. But there is no no accountability for those billions of dollars they said were going to be saved. There's no a document that they put out so MassDoc can later compare, you know, we saved here, we saved there, we didn't quite save, you know, in this particular category. So there was no scorecard because they never really put out a document that said specifically where all these savings are coming from. And we still don't know if they ever had any real significant savings. So by having an independent body look at either savings or spending and knowing the financial impact of a bill would be huge because not only would that be uh, more information for those that are actually voting on the bill, so they were making decisions with great knowledge, uh, but it would also form be the basis to form a scorecard for how well their actual policy implementation of their laws went forward. Did they actually save money? How much did this actually cost? Did they pass it thinking it was going to be a $20 million project and it turned out to be a $50 million project? And who's on the hook for that? You know, was the estimator wrong or was it, was it just mismanagement down the road? But without that level of accountability, you know, we're operating in the dark in many ways. And when you don't have accountability for such huge decisions, then you know, the public really gets a raw deal. And we, we can never say, did they operate efficiently or not? Were they operating based upon good data or bad data? So having an independent body look at looking at bills that had a financial impact over a certain amount, maybe have the auditor or the inspector general uh, perform that function um, would be good. You know, and then the public would feel really a lot better about their tax dollars and how they're being spent and they'll know that uh, they, their dollars and, and the spending was given the scrutiny that really deserved. So having some type of independent office, we at Pioneer think would make great sense. Yeah, I, see, I, I, you know, I, I tend to agree with everything you just said, of course. Um, it, it puzzles me that uh, if, if you're an advocate for more government and more taxes, uh, it just makes sense to tell the uh, taxpaying public what you've done with the money you've already given them. Uh, so if you want to raise taxes and reassure people they deserve to be raised, the information will be useful. Or if you want to reduce taxes and say there's a lot of uh, waste, fraud, and abuse, uh, having that data would help support your position. It seems that everybody from right, left, and center benefits from 
the sunshine that comes from uh, such an organization. What possible reason is it that um, legislators aren't rushing to make clear where the money's going, where it's being spent, uh, how much things cost? Well, one thing I've learned <clears throat> is that everyone loves transparency until it's transparency on them, you know, <laughs> in perfect government. So I think people just, uh, legislators or policymakers or whomever, want, want to be able to operate where they have maximum flexibility, maximum limited risk, but transparency does bring more risk because people know what you're doing. And uh, it, I, I just don't know how we're going to fix that with our present system, but the, it's up to the public really to say we want more transparency and to expect and to to uh, to get nothing less than a really transparent government. So ultimately, it you know the people have to get involved and say that this is something that they really want and something they really value. Indeed, uh, all Pioneer can do is the research, provide the information, but it's ultimately up to the voters, our listeners, and others uh, to reach out to their legislators and, and require, demand, insist that uh, such accountability, such transparency be, be part of the process. So I think that's a good place to uh, end our show. I, I really appreciate oh, Well, before we, we sign off, where um, uh, you mentioned some websites uh, within Pioneer. Do you want to make a plug for any of the other um, research sure. tools? Sure. If you go to uh, Mass, uh, no, to pioneerinstitute.org, we have an icon called Mass Watch. If you click on that, you'll see all the websites that we have on. Uh, one is, is mass analysis on municipal data on, for your town. So you can see exactly how your town stacks up to other towns. We have mass pensions. It gives the 106 pension systems in the state, public pension systems in the state, a grade based upon you know, its, its funding strategy, whether it's unfunded or not. Um, and we have another site uh, called MBTA, MBTA analysis, which shows the finances of the MBTA and ridership information and other performance metrics. We have uh, massreportcards.com. We give every grade, every school in this public school in the state a grade for performance. And then we have Mass Open Books, which shows every dollar that's being spent. We just recently added um, a page to that that shows the public employee count by department. So we have a lot of information there. And, and finally, we have mass economics and our mass economics database tracks all the firms in the state going back 20 years to show, or about 20 years, to show um, how many employees those firms had. And you could see that by your town or, 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 or your region or county. So you can see what is happening by NAICS code, which is like industry code, and really understand your community in the state. So Wonderful. we encourage people to visit there, Mass Watch. Mass Watch. Well, it sounds like a tre treasure trove of information. Uh, it also sounds like lots of good topics for future uh, Hubwonk episodes. So uh, watch this space. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, essentially just do around the world uh, a show on transparency, but I, I assure you we'll go deeper on uh, some of those vital topics in the future. But I want to thank you very much for your time, Mary. Thank you for joining the show. And thanks, Joe. And uh, happy Sunshine Week last. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, Sunshine Week. Uh, we, this it deserves the title. Sun, we've had plenty of sunshine uh, these days. So thank it, you very it, much. Absolutely. We'd love yeah. it. <laughs> okay. So long, Joe. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support us. 
It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your podcatcher. It would be wonderful if you offer a kind review or a five-star rating, and of course, if you share us with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for future episodes for me, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. Hubwonk.